This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. It's the first Sunday of March. It's March 1st. 2015, we're on at 5 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. And today we're going to have a very interesting topic. We're going to be discussing the future of cars with our guest, Joe Weisenfelder from Cars.com. As I said, I'm Tom Diori. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you with a review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with our industry-wide report which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry. And if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to techtalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send email questions to the email address I just gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. We monitor that throughout the show, and if we don't get you on today's show, we'll definitely uh, get back to you during the week and possibly put it on next week's show. And we're also being simulcast on the web, so if you can't get to your radio and you want to listen to us live, please tune into KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are archived. Uh, You can download them, listen to them as many times as you want, send them to your friends. It's free, so please take advantage of that. And please call in any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. First segment's our week in review. It's our increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dave Brandon, Jose Batista, and Dan Dioria. Okay, the Cuomo administration begins a large-scale email purge. Um, has now the Cuomo administration has now fully implemented a policy of automatically deleting emails of rank-and-file state workers that are more than three months old, resulting in an effective purge of thousands of messages in recent days. According to memos obtained by Capital, mass deletions began Monday at uh, several state agencies after officials finished consolidating 27 separate email platforms to a single cloud-based system called Office 365. That's Microsoft Office 365. Let's IT administrators purge any older messages and can be set up to do so every day. The 90-day deletion policy was first adopted in June 2013, but its enforcement to date has been haphazard at best, employees and officials say. News of its implementation has drawn fresh concern from good government groups in both New York and elsewhere who say automatically deleting mails is unnecessary and could stymie access to public information, you think? 
if you don't put it somewhere else and get it out of the email uh, stream, prevent you as a worker from going back and finding some information. So that's probably going to take a little training. Amazon has expanded its Prime Now same-day delivery service, Recode tells us, out of Manhattan for the first time and into selected neighborhoods in Brooklyn. The service allows Amazon Prime subscribers in neighborhoods such as Brooklyn Heights, Fort Greene, and Prospect Heights to get free delivery on a limited selection of goods within two hours of ordering. Prime Now also offers an $8 one-hour option in most of Manhattan, but not in Brooklyn. That could signal the one-hour option has not gained traction or simply that's not feasible to guarantee that time frame to Brooklyn customers. Uh, we'll keep an eye on this and uh, see if it uh, gets expanded anywhere and whether or not it's a good idea. I mean, that sounds uh, pretty interesting. Amazon expansion of its near-instant delivery service underscores the length the company is willing to go to add new perks to its Prime membership program. Prime members across the country pay $99 a year for two-day delivery on large catalog of goods and can also stream music, movies, and TV shows. Amazon caters to these members, which analysts estimate may number as many as 50 million worldwide. So let's see, 50 million members. $100 a year, that's a nice number, because they are believed to spend several times as much on Amazon in a year as non-members do. Of course, that's a good thing, especially if you get the free delivery. It makes the incentive significantly better. Fox New York tells us that a great stack of paper atop the desk of New York State lawmakers will soon be replaced by a sleek computer tablet. Crews are at the same time installing wires in the desk of lawmakers in the state assembly, Three months after voters approved the constitutional amendment intended to bring the legislature into the digital age. Assembly Speaker Card Hadesi announced the creation of a new bipartisan working group to oversee the change. Previously, the state constitution required printed bills, which tended to pile up on lawmakers' desks. Lawmakers say the switch to paperless legislation will save millions of dollars in printing costs and reduce the legislature's demand for paper. Uh, Hathessi says the expects lawmakers will begin using computer tablets very soon. Well, we'll have to see if that improves lawmaking in the state of New York. Dale tells us that uh, multiple New York City government offices were hit by a cyber attack that took down email systems for most of the day. As somebody that consults for the city of New York, this was more like three or four days. Offices for the mayor, controller, and city council were unable to send messages from roughly 11 a.m. until later that evening. Department of Information Technology and Telecommunications said that they were not able to send or receive emails in or out of the city. The workers were, however, able to send emails to each other within each office. The official added that no personal information or city records appeared to have been compromised. The email system was taken offline by a so-called denial service attack, which floods computer servers with high amounts of fake traffic, causing them to shut down. And that was, in fact, what we found out to be the case when we did a little investigation on our own. Google has created the computer equivalent of a teenager, an artificial intelligence system, Bloomberg Businessweek tells us, that spends all of its time playing and mastering video games. The company introduced a new development in machine learning technology, describing it as the first significant rung of the ladder to building intelligent AI, artificial intelligence, 
that can figure out how to do things on its own. The research project built by a London startup called DeepMind Technologies that Google acquired last year exposed computers running general AI software to retro Atari games. The machines were shown 49 games on the Atari 2600, the home console beloved by all 80s babies, and were told to play them without any direction about how to do so. When the computers passed a level or racked up a high score, they were automatically rewarded with a digital equivalent of a dog treat. Google's AI system surpassed the performance of expert humans in 29 games and outperformed the best-known algorithmic methods for completing games in 43 instances. Some games, like Ms. Pac-Man, can't be easily beaten with a mathematical formula, and others, like Video Pinball, the AI crushed human players with a system that has more than 20 times better than a professional human game tester. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to get to our guest. We're going to talk to you today about the future of cars. Uh, Joe Weisenfelder will be our guest from uh, cars.com. I'm Tom Dioria. It's the 1st of March, 2015. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to iNice Tech Talk. It's March 1st, 2015, and this is uh, IMI's Tech Talk, and I'm Tom Diori, and as I mentioned to you before the break, we're going to be talking to you about the future of cars with our guest, Joe Weisenfelder, and after six years in the magazine business, Joe made the jump to web publishing in 1995. He joined the Cars.com launch team in 1997. Joe currently serves as executive editor for the site. He focuses on cutting through marketing claims and technobabble to determine what really matters to car buyers. His first car was a 1971 Oldsmobile Delta 88, whose 455 cubic inch engine first awoke the car nut in him. So, Joe, how are you today, and thanks for being with us. Thank you. I am well. Let's uh, start here about, uh, let's talk about, since we're talking about future cars and the big hype on the street these days is self-driving cars, and I think the auto show in Detroit might have had some. Tell us about how this all works and how the magic happens. Um, It's interesting how much attention it is getting now, and I think it's largely because uh, Google, in particular, has been putting a lot of research and development into it. They're a very high-profile company, and they have, you know, a lot of fans, a lot of trusting uh, customers. Um, I say that part of, for a couple reasons. Mainly, uh, regular automakers, the ones we all know, have been experimenting in this area for many years. Um, uh, specifically, uh, I think of a couple Volkswagen, General Motors, partnering with um, some technical universities have been involved in, in challenges uh, called DARPA challenges. They're sponsored by the, the uh, and, and sanctioned by the Defense Department uh, to develop autonomous vehicles. And um, 
that's one of the main reasons. And the other is that a lot of the cars on the road today already have some degree of automation or at least have features available as options that are uh, semi-autonomous, like things like lane departure prevention where it actually will steer a little bit for you and uh, some forward collision warning um, and in some cases or most cases these days with automated braking. So if you are you know, heading toward an obstacle or a car and you don't intervene in the radar or camera system or both determine that you're closing too quickly, it'll hit the brakes for you. Um, so the big difference, I think, between what Google is doing um, and what you see in a real car these days with real high tech is um, they have that kind of weird-looking laser array on top of the car, and that is the most expensive um, single piece of hardware. And that thing spins around, and it is looking, as it were, around at obstacles and the terrain and all that stuff, and it gives much more information to the computer that determines where the car is going uh, than you can get from things like cameras and radar that are available um, in regular options these days. I mean, making a vehicle... Um, operate autonomously really is all about information. It's about the terrain. It's about where the vehicle is relative to obstacles and other vehicles. Um, and the more information the car has, the better. So um, ultimately, I think it's possible for systems to get by with maybe more affordable versions of that laser array um, or just um, by getting more information into the car, either from the infrastructure like the streets or the or the uh, light, the, the traffic signals, or from other vehicles that actually share information about where they are, how far they are, how quickly they're going, etc. This is pretty interesting, and although not you know too futuristic, since you've obviously seen these things in operation, and as you mentioned, some of the aspects are are in cars today, brings up the whole. Well, it brings up a number of issues. Um, the first one is let's talk about some of the features that are actually there. The, the auto braking, for example, is this a safe thing? You know, the car senses something, so you stop, but what happens if you don't want to stop or you don't have to stop? How does it know that you're about to ram into the back of something as opposed to something else the radar is bouncing off of? I mean, is it 99.9% .9 accurate? I wouldn't be able to say how accurate it is. I think that if it uh, if it um, errs on one side or the other, it will err on the side of not intervening um, as opposed to falsing and actually triggering. Um, I've actually had a couple experiences with these systems. Uh, for three years in a row, we had uh, Volvo systems, and Volvo's been out in front in a lot of this stuff, uh, and in particular their forward collision prevention is, is intended to operate with pedestrians as well as higher speed collisions. And we had a, a situation where this vehicle was always the same one, Volvo S60, when we drove into or out of the um, parking structure across from our office, it would see something. Maybe it was the gate, uh, maybe it was the, the kind of a bollard that holds the gate, uh, and it would jam on the brakes. They would react as if there were, you know, a pedestrian about to walk in front of the car. And it was jarring. Um, don't get me wrong. Fortunately, it was at a very low speed. So there is some falsing going on, but what's happening is these vehicles are using the cameras and the radars 
uh, to bring the information in, but then there's essentially military-grade processing going on. Same kind of stuff that's been happening in fighter jets to determine uh, where the various threats are, what the other airplanes in the sky are, for example. Um, and it is generally a pretty effective system. And the, it's, again, better when it's combining multiple sources of information, like having cameras and radar. Uh, by and large, um, I believe that this is the most effective of those autonomous systems that are out there. Uh, and I'm not the only one. Um, in, in Europe, the European NCAP, that's their star rating system for, for safety, to get a five-star rating, a car has to have autonomous braking. Um, and the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety here in the U.S. is leaning in the same direction. To get the highest rating, you've got to have that particular type uh, of autonomous system available as an option. So in all your experience, you haven't heard of um, what happens to you coming out of the garage happening at 60 miles an hour. Absolutely not. I've, I've never heard that, and I actually have shared uh, photos and information with both Volvo and the Insurance Institute to try and determine uh, what the issue was. And I can tell you this year we got a 2015 S60, and it didn't happen. It's the first time it didn't happen. So I believe that, that what they're doing is they're always refining their algorithms and, and, and computing power, and um, these things just keep getting smarter and smarter. Yeah, maybe it was like a uh, some kind of X-ray beam or something to determine if the gate should go up or down, or who knows. It's possible that it was, it was just if your re- office is across the street. Maybe it was picking up something from your office. <laughs> well, I think it's it's most likely that it was just seeing a stationary object and maybe interpreting it as a moving object because that, that's how high the processing level is. It is truly looking ahead and will ignore a pedestrian. It will, it will pick out a pedestrian. Um, and they actually have a nice video display that they use at, at auto shows just to show you what the system is doing. It's not what the driver sees, but you can look on the camera and people walking by will have little boxes that appear around them. That says it's recognizing a pedestrian. And if the pedestrian is walking away from the street, like off to the side, it'll ignore it. But if it looks like that person's trajectory is into your path, then it will you know, trigger the alert. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty sophisticated stuff. Is that where we are right now in terms of, of, well, they're not self-driving cars, but intelligent cars? Is that about the, where the technology right now is at its highest level? And is the Google car you were describing first, you know, 10 iterations ahead of them refining these factors? Well, it's many iterations ahead, and it's partly just extremely expensive to have uh, some of that hardware on board. Um, And I believe that Google, because they own Google Maps, have just tremendous amounts of data that they can put into that system um, that is not necessarily available to other automakers. Um, I think one of the, the big questions will be not just the, the, the readiness of the vehicle, but the readiness of the you know legal environment. Um, having a car, a driverless car, is not a you know small matter. Um, and I think in in uh, in their little burg in uh, in uh, in Northern California, where they're testing all these vehicles, they probably get away with a lot more than they could in the middle of the country. I think the, the legislative aspect of this and the legal ramifications are going to end up being as much of a challenge as the technical one. 
That's interesting. Maybe if we have time at the end of the show, we can get into that in a little more detail. We have to take a break. Um, we're talking to Joe Weisenfelder about the future of cars. This is IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 1st of March, 2015. I'm Tom Dioria. We're going to take a break. It's our uh, mid-show break. You're going to hit the international news, and we'll be right back after these messages. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori. It's the 1st of March, 2015. And today's show is the future of cars with uh, Joe Weisenfelder. And before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, what Google is doing um, and what's in current-day cars. Is Tesla in this mix? Tesla is to some extent, and I actually will probably soon be more so than the others. Tesla, um, in 2015 versions of the Model S, has a combination of cameras, radar, and ultrasonic. And because of the design of that vehicle, um, features can be added later on, as long as that hardware is present. Um, And they are talking about having what they're calling autopilot, which is a pretty smart way to brand it, frankly, to do some of these things. And they actually are talking about doing it in a way that has fewer restrictions. For example, regular cars that have this lane departure prevention where it can uh, read the traffic flow and or the stripes in the pavement and nudge the steering wheel for you if you don't, uh, after about 10 seconds, that thing times out and says, tells you to grasp the wheel. So it's kind of like it does it for you, but then it stops, which I find weird. Tesla claims they're not going to do that. Uh, Tesla is also known for being very bold and just saying, we're, we're just going to do this. We're going to do it our way, whatever, um, and seeing what happens, whereas I think the major manufacturers are still going to hold out and see what's acceptable and clear everything with the government. Um, that is something that they have to do as major manufacturers. The Tesla tends to just, uh, you know, go ahead and do. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, so now you're going to get a car, an autopilot car, that runs on batteries. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, how about Apple? I mean, uh, they don't make cars. Well, Google doesn't make cars either until now. With all their technology, are they in this mix at all? Apple recently, uh, it was it was revealed that they have been hiring engineers, seemingly a little bit weighted a little bit more heavily toward electric cars and electric battery technology, and then it was you know later reported that they are indeed working secretly or previously secretly on a vehicle. I would not bet against a company as smart and with as dedicated a a customer base as Apple, but I have to say I think they will learn the same lesson that Tesla has been learning and I think will continue to learn, which is that building a car from scratch has a very, very steep learning curve. Tesla continues to struggle with it because the Model S is their first car that they built from scratch. They started the company with a Roadster that was based on a Lotus Elise. Um, And I think some of the the, the aspects of being a small company uh, have benefited them, but it has also been, you know, something of a detriment um, in, you know, basically reinventing the wheel. Um, and starting from scratch to build a car. The fact that it's electric, notwithstanding, yes, that, that is a little bit different. But this is an a extremely complex uh, 
uh, consumer products to build for safety reasons, durability reasons, regulatory uh, considerations. Um, Apple is, you know, I would say they're dabbling at this point. We'll see what ends up, what you know, what actually ends up happening. So right now it's Google and Tesla. Well, Google doesn't build cars yet. Google <laughs> has been working with, uh, I believe, at least originally Toyota Priuses, uh, and um, now have some autonomous little shuttles, like two like two seaters that run around their campus. Uh, I know they are talking about building their own car, but I don't know how far they've gotten with that. And then when I say car, I mean like a regular roadworthy full-speed car. Now, you mentioned uh, two things, legal and government regulations. Uh, has the government gotten into this yet, putting barriers in the way or regulations, restricting or requiring... Well, they- I don't think they've done it, not that I know of, uh, partly because it hasn't become an issue yet. One of the things that have held this stuff back as long as, as, as it's been uh, has been that concern. Um, I wrote, I, I kid you not, more than 20 years ago in Wired Magazine about you know, forward collision warning with automated braking. That was the first time I experienced it. Um, and one of the ways that they, I, I think, are, are wisely bringing about something of an auto, autonomous revolution is by having these features in limited um, use in current vehicles. Like, I, mean, I don't think people tended to think of lane departure warning and, and collision warning and all that as auto, automation, or, you know, autonomous driving, but that really is, those are the building blocks of autonomy. Um, so they've been working at it slowly, and by the time it actually becomes a reality, it'll, it'll, they will have uh, established what works, and they will have a lot of, you know, um, you know, data and a lot of research into the algorithms that do all this stuff, and they will end up um, being able to just, you know, more or less flip a switch and add more functionality uh, than they've had so far. Um, the question is, who will be the first to push that? And again, I would not be surprised if it's Tesla, because Tesla has been bold, has boldly been uh, uh, challenging the, the franchise laws around the country and trying to sell vehicles directly to consumers, which is uh, generally not how it's done. Um, they they push it. They're the guys that push, and um, they might be the tip of the spear in this regard as well. Now, do you think they're going to be? Um well, I think you did say you, you did think uh, legal ramifications of this. I mean, if if we start to get into self-driving cars and there's an accident, I mean, who takes the responsibility? The person sitting in the driver's seat, the car maker, the maker of the self-driving technology? How's that all going to fall out? That is the question, um, an astute one, and uh, and one that that has no simple answer. I mean, I think. When you have a situation like that, you end up with a, 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 a driver saying, well, I, it wasn't my fault, it was a car, and you may have an automaker uh, saying, well, the data show something else. It's an extension of what already exists to some extent with the black boxes that are in essentially all um, uh, vehicles right now that just record basic information like how fast the car was going for the previous second um, and, and that freezes in time a snapshot of what was happening if a car has a collision, like when the airbags go off, uh, whether they were on the brake, 
and all that stuff. And this has been a big uh, area of, uh, of litigation um, in uh, really different among the states. In California, I know that uh, it was determined that the information in this black box is the property of the car owner. Um, and in other areas, it's much fuzzier that uh, the automaker can say, we want to see that data because we believe the car is not at fault. Um, so you're, you're, you're definitely bringing up what is going to be an extension of the same. So I gather from what you're saying, because I always wondered that, those black boxes are used um, by insurance companies and the like uh, when there's an accident? When they, can, when they can secure that information, absolutely. That's interesting. Um, let's see. We've got uh, about a minute left in this segment. How about giving us a little insight into what you are seeing that future cars are going to look like, and then we'll come back after the break and cover that a little more. Well, in terms of, of, of the looks alone, I would say I think uh, it'll continue very much in the same direction it's been in, partly because one of the reasons I think people tend to look at cars and say, oh, they all look alike these days. That's driven largely by aerodynamics, which are important for keeping mileage, uh, gas mileage or fuel mileage uh, in check. Um, and uh, that tends to make windshields go out in front of you a little bit more, maybe high trunks or even uh, more hatchback looking design because that's more aerodynamic. We might see the disappearance of the side mirror because that is really one of the last things that really uh, catches a lot of wind and hurts your efficiency. And it's just a matter of, of, once again, the government accepting that a car can have maybe cameras instead that don't stick out as opposed to side mirrors because side mirrors have been uh, a regulation for decades and decades. Well, I'm going to come back after this break and ask you about that. I'd be lost without my side mirrors. This is Tom DiOrio. We're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. We're talking with uh, Joe Weisenfelder about the future of cars. This is IMI's Tech Talk. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages on KFNX AM 1100. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's March 1st, 2015, and uh, we're on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOrio, and we're speaking with Joe Weisenfelder about the future of cars. And uh, if you heard our intro, Joe joined the Cars.com launch team in 1997, and he serves serves as the executive director for the site, and uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that, Joe, and if our listeners want to follow up with you, the best way for them to do that. Sure. Uh, Cars.com's goal uh, from the beginning has been to um, help people buy and sell cars, um, and doing so by having, you know, ads, listings, just like we used to go to the newspaper for. In fact, Cars.com started as a joint venture of many of the major newspaper companies. Um, I obviously work in the editorial department, and we provide um, car reviews um, in text and video formats. We uh, provide all sorts of consumer advice. 
Um, and we've recently actually expanded a little bit into service and repair because people don't just buy cars and they keep them. Um, so by and large, we've always had the same goal. We've just been uh, uh, doing it better and uh, faster and growing and uh, are putting a lot more emphasis into mobile presentation, you know, mobile devices, just like everyone else in this line of work. And if our listeners want to follow up with you, is there an easy way for them to do that? Yeah, I would recommend you can follow me on Twitter at joeatcars.com, and that's all spelled out, even the dot, D-O-T. Um, or uh, email can come to editor at cars.com, which is uh, our uh, main inbox. Great. Before the break, you were saying that the next thing that uh, car makers may do to make the cars more aerodynamic is get rid of those side mirrors that I'm always looking at the little dot to see if I'm about to ram into somebody. How would a camera work, and where would that display something if I'm, you know, I'm used to looking to the left? Where am I going to see what I would have seen on my mirror? That is yet to be determined. I suspect that just for, you know, the sake of getting people accustomed to it and probably promoting the uh, habit of checking your blind spot manually, which is still what you're supposed to do, that the the displays, anything that shows you what's behind you, would probably still end up being up near those pillars on either side of the windshield. Uh, that is yet to be determined. But the, the, the cameras themselves could be on the side um, near the front of the car. They could be near the rear of the car. It's just, it seems like you know, almost since the beginning of the car, there have been auto shows and concept cars, and some of the neatest ones are the ones that had little cameras instead of side mirrors. Um, it, it's inevitable that it will happen. I, I actually know that Tesla, I, I, I know I sound like some kind of a Tesla devotee. They, they, they do have their, their problems, but again, credit for pushing, uh, pushing, and, uh, pushing back on the rules. They're developing an SUV called the Model X, and they actually were trying to get the okay to use cameras instead of side mirrors on that, and were unable to secure that before they uh, had to lock it down for for uh, production. So I don't think we're going to see it yet on those. I like Tesla. I mean, it's a beautiful car. I'm just waiting for the price to come down. I agree with you. Unfortunately, there's a another expensive model before the, the cheaper one uh, in the Model X. So. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to them, and the thing I like, I mean, I like a lot about it, is is just that they've figured out how to get range off of those batteries. So instead of it being 40 or 50 miles, it's 300 or 400 miles, so you can actually take a trip with it. Yeah, I agree with you. We talked a little bit about the future of cars. How about uh, talking about the future of getting rid of gas-powered cars? Is that practical, logical? Um, I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime. Um, the thing about uh, thing about gasoline and about fossil fuels uh, in general is they represent a tremendous, tremendous amount of energy in a very small package, very high energy density, um, and there's still some advancements to be made in uh, gasoline and diesel fuel efficiency. Um, and uh, we've already seen big advancements with direct injection and turbocharging and such. Uh, another big area right now is making vehicles lighter, uh, which also helps. Uh, the problem with the alternative is if you look at electric, which got a lot of support and a lot of you know government money and, and incentives and such, 
is that there's still a basic limitation, which you already mentioned, and that is range. But even beyond that limitation, to have an electric car, you've got to be able to plug it in and charge it. Not everyone can do that at home. And I think a lot of people don't recognize how long it takes to charge a car. Um, I think the best you can get for a normal household charger is you can add about 20 miles of range in an hour uh, for in an hour of charging. And that's actually pretty good because it started out with more like 10 miles of range in an hour of charging. So, I mean, people, I think, think, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll drive somewhere and park and plug in and go have dinner. Um, I think they're probably working off of the assumption that you stop you, you, you know, put a nozzle in your, your regular car, take three minutes to fill it, and then you can go 400 miles. It's not like that. The range is shorter, and the time it takes to, you know, refill or recharge is, uh, is much longer. Um, we look at hybrids. Hybrids never exceeded about 25 to 3% of the market, and hybrids are a vehicle that you treat exactly like any other vehicle. As soon as you start having other requirements or other limitations, like having to plug in or having limited range, naturally the demand is going to shrink. Um, and until electric cars in particular save you money, not just save the environment, um, I don't think that they're ever going to, to get a, an enormous you know, chunk of the, uh, of the market. That's an interesting perspective, and I, I tend to agree with that because, especially like here in the Northeast, in the cold, most people are using the gas portion of their, of their hybrids because it's just not practical. We talked about car safety. Is there anything else that um, comes to mind that we haven't touched on? I think really the type of active safety systems we've been discussing, like collision warning and stuff like that, collision prevention, uh, are the next frontier. Uh, it's not to say the manufacturers can't go a little further with what's called passive safety, like airbags and crumple zones and stuff like that. Um, but by and large, I think they've, they've, kind of, they've kind of gotten as much as they can. If you think about it, people can have very serious accidents now and walk away from them. Granted, it seems like the car uh, uh, sacrifices itself in the, in the process, but um, that's not necessarily a bad thing to be able to walk away from a car that's totaled as opposed to have a car that's slightly damaged and you're, you know, slightly or, you know, greatly damaged. Um, I, I think the improvements, I should mention, though, there are, there are more airbags than ever. In addition to knee airbags, which are pretty getting to be more popular, there's GM has a, an airbag between the front occupants in their larger um, SUVs like the Chevy Traverse, and that's to keep the, the occupants from banging into each other. Ford has uh, some shoulder belts as an option in the back seat of a couple of their vehicles, the um, Explorer being one of them, that are kind of uh, airbag seatbelts, inflatable seatbelts that help protect the back seat passengers and spread the load out and stuff. So there's a little more to be done, but I think the big frontier is active safety, and I think that, that will improve greatly uh, if we can get vehicles to talk to each other more and share information more. Uh, because if your car, you know, comes to an intersection and there's someone speeding at it, maybe your car or that car could stop in time and prevent an accident. But how about if your car knows long before you're in that intersection that another car is speeding toward the intersection? Well, that's a different game entirely. It might help avoid some head-on collisions with wrong-way drivers. We just had that up here in Westchester on Friday. And maybe if both cars or even one car was equipped with some of these uh, car safety features, that that would have been uh, would have prevented a fatality. We've got about a minute left. 
Can you give us a, a quick update on entertainment and multimedia in a minute? Yeah, I can give you the quick rundown. Uh, what's interesting is we're seeing uh, one type of, uh, of entertainment going away in cars, and that is the backseat entertainment system. You can still get them, but what's happened is, uh, you know, technology changes so quickly that people who have that drop-down uh, video screen in their, in their minivans are finding that, oh, it was great with DVDs, but now my Blu-rays don't play. Uh, meanwhile, children are getting addicted to tablets. So there's much more emphasis on, you know, giving people a place to mount the tablet uh, and just moving on from there. Um, beyond that, it, it's a question of making the smartphone work better with the car, and that is something that has been a big struggle for the automakers. Um, and finally, Google and Apple are getting involved with a, a feature called uh, Google uh, Android Auto and uh, Apple CarPlay that are coming possibly by the end of this quarter um, in Hyundai Sonatas and Mercedes C-Classes that try to mirror more of what's on the phone in the screen in the dashboard. And uh, like, so like you can get the navigation in your phone that updates all the time and is always good uh, in the screen on the dash instead of buying that option that is essentially out of date from the time you buy the car. Terrific. Well, Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. And listeners, uh, you can find Joe at cars.com, so I encourage you to go to there and uh, see what he has to say. Um, next week, we're going to be live from our New York offices, and I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's president, Dave Brandon, Dan Dioria, and Jose Batista for this week's Week in Review. Taylor Redden's our producer, Matt Campagni's our executive producer, and without Robert Baum back in the KFNX AM 1100 production department, you wouldn't hear a word we said. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 5 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100, and remember to send us your suggestions for future shows, or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Enjoy March, have a great week, and thanks for listening.